irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Listening to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill only on LA Talk Radio. Happy Monday, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill here on LA Talk Radio. And of course, you can also find us on iTunes. I hope everybody had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. And of course, I was so grateful to have our guest host in last week, Allison Garrido, uh, to give you guys a show in my absence while I was traveling. So I'd like to welcome uh, everybody who's tuning in today and uh, tell you a little bit about what we're going to be discussing. Today, I have a guest who's going to be joining us. Petra Dernan. And Petra has had just an incredible career uh, dealing with C.B. Richard Ellis and is going to be talking today about millennials. In her job, she gets a lot of millennials who are applying for her jobs, get referred into her, and she it's up to her to distinguish who are the right people to hire for CBRE for their internship program and also for direct hire jobs. So let me tell you a little bit about Petra's background. So Petra Dernan joined CBRE in January of 2016 as the Director of Research and Analytics for Southern California and brings with her over 15 years of research, analytics, writing, editing, consulting, and mentoring experience. She manages a team of 30 real estate professionals that gathers primary research, provides strategic analysis, and produces value-add thought leadership on the market and economy. Ms. Dernan developed strategic solutions, including alignment of cohesive cross-functional research team to expand service and leverage talent, as well as develop business and improve efficiency. She also forges effective regional media relationships, securing exclusive quarterly coverage in major national and local media outlets. In addition to uh, managing relationships and analyzing data across multiple product types, she performs top-down market analysis for executive management, uh, for various conferences, internal and external clients, and produces unique thought leadership reports. Additionally, Ms. Dernan maintains deep relationships with landlords who utilize CBRE data for their business decisions, such as Brookfield Properties, Commonwealth Partners, Equity Office Properties, Heinz, Lincoln Property Company and John Hancock. She has also trained and mentored over 20 trainees, 20 broker trainees that is, who have become successful brokers in the Southwest region. Prior to joining CBRE, Ms. Dernan managed research for the Southwest region at Cushman and Wakefield from 2006 to 2015 and from 2004 to 2006. She worked with developers, owners, and city leaders while at the Downtown Center for Business uh, Improvement District, the DCB ID on numerous projects related to the downtown renaissance. In addition to tracking residential, retail, hospitality projects from planning through completion, she quantified the economic impact of development and spearheaded demographic studies, all of which are widely used throughout the region. She began her career in 2000 at Cushman and Wakefield. In 2001, she received the Cushman and Wakefield Outstanding Achievement Award. In 2005, the IDA Downtown Achievement Award for producing the Downtown Living Week. Uh, 
Living Weekend event, which drew over 7,000 attendees. And in 2015, she won Cushman and Wakefield Mentor of the Year. Ms. Dernan is an active uh, member of the DCBID and volunteers for the Habitat for Humanity, Ronald McDonald House, and Junior Achievement Award. So today, I'm very excited that we're going to be having Petra join us, and uh, she should be here momentarily, as these things often happen in LA. Traffic can sometimes blindside the best of us, so she'll be joining us here momentarily, and will be sharing with us some of her feedback on what she's noticed are some of the fallbacks and pitfalls that can uh, get people in a rock and a hard place. And in fact, perfect timing, Petra is walking in right now to join us and share her expertise with us. So give me one second and we'll have Petra join the show. Thank you so much for being here, Petra. I just got done sharing with everybody all of your amazing qualifications and accolades. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here today. So as I was sharing with our listeners, today's show is really about having the millennials out there who are job hunting be empowered and impactful when they go out to go for a job hunt. I remember, oh my gosh, I mean, I'm technically a millennial because I was born in 81, and I'll never forget, like, the first interview I had was with, like, Apple One staffing, and I remember exactly what I wore. I had, like, a red uh, shirt on and a black skirt, didn't even look professional. I don't even <laughs> think I printed out my resume, and I just find it very ironic that now I, you know, do this podcast and have a company. Yeah. So tell us, I would love to have our listeners hear a little bit about your story and how you came to, you know, grow your career. I loved what you had shared with me. I think it was last week when we were chatting mm-hmm. about how you didn't necessarily come from the best pedigree or the perfect school. And yet somebody gave you an opportunity and look at where you are now. Yeah, that's true. I was a C student in a community college and was um, an English major and training horses at the time. No way. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So once I graduated, I took a a job at a Westlaw, which as a sort of paralegal for a few years, and then moved out from New York to California and really just did not know what I wanted to do. And I just, I had all this legal background, but really nothing else. And, but I was good with databases. That was my strong suit. So somebody at um, a company called Cushman and Wakefield, who was running the research department at the time, said, I'll give you a chance, see what you can do with this database that had been neglected for a while. So I went in and um, four years later, I was still there. But I had to figure out if this, I didn't know if this was going to be my career. So I had to figure out how to stay there, how to become indispensable, how to stick to the company. And many times over the years, they said, you know, we probably wouldn't have hired somebody like you because you didn't come from that pedigree of real estate driven or real estate background, etc. But because I was a writer and I had done editing, I made myself indispensable to my boss. So I would go into her office and I would sit down and I'd look at her desk and I'd poke around and say, well, what's that and what's that? She's like, oh, I can't get to that. <laughs> I said, give it to me. So I would just go back and go back to my desk and figure it out. I was a good researcher, so I had to learn. I had to look things up and figure out what triple net rent meant and everything <laughs> else, but I learned. And the more I took off of her plate, the more she relied on me because I was proving myself every day. 
That's so imperative. In fact, I just gave a corporate training on Friday to an organization and to all of their employees. And a popular talk that I'm doing right now with organizations is how to be empowered and indispensable in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I think it's half of one and half of another. You have to be empowered in what you're doing, and you have to have a company and a culture that supports your growth and your ability to thrive. But at the same time, the onus is on you. It's like anything in life. It's 100% and 100%. The company is 100% responsible, and you're 100% responsible to make sure that that you're fantastic and that you're extraordinary at what you do. And it sounds like that you blew their socks off because here you are and look at the success you've had. I, it, was a, it was a very slow process, that's for sure. But it's so true. You really do have to, if they give you the chance, you have to take it and run. Yeah, and just be passionate about it. And if you don't know something, there's something I do a lot of talks on. And I tell people that there are a couple of things that are the kiss of death. No, I can't. No, I won't. No, I don't. And no, I haven't. Mm -hmm. And the minute you say those words, it doesn't work. As opposed to playing, I think I've talked to people about this before, the yes and game. Mm -hmm. Yes and, I'm sure I could learn more about that. Yes and, let me go figure that out. I'll figure it out. It's powerful words. Yeah. Because otherwise your boss is like, forget it, I'll do it myself. (laughs) Exactly. That's the worst mm -hmm. when you hear no as a boss. Because I know you manage how many people? It's 30? 30, yes. Wow. Yeah, because for me, I have a team of five people that I'm managing. And when you're going through your day and you hear a no, it stops you in your tracks. Mm -hmm. It stops whatever forward motion that you were just going into. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure I'm culpable of that as well myself is when I first, you know, got into the professional field, there are so many things that people don't teach you, whether you're a millennial or whether you're entering a new field, Mm -hmm. you have to realize that your best friend is yes and let me handle that and be proactive at all times. Absolutely. So tell me, what are a couple of things that you learned as far as to you? What was indispensable? What do, what do you look for as indispensable in your team? I look for, as you said, anyone who's going to say, yes, <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, but even taking a step back into even the interview process. So whether I have a job posting out there and I'm getting resumes that way, or it's referrals, I get a lot of referrals from people who are maybe in the company and they'll say this is my neighbor's kid he's really <laughs> smart and that's fine that's all great because that's how really how you do get jobs is 80% from of jobs yeah. are word of mouth absolutely but how are you standing out it, it can't just be that you went to UCLA or USC whichever whoever's <laughs> pick listening them. right take them or that um, you had a 4.0 you know, GPA or that you um, volunteer for you know some great kids cause everybody does so if I'm sitting across from you what do you have to offer that's going to make me sit up and say I can work with this person I need this person on my team and it for me it really doesn't even matter what industry I will look to other industries and I will look outside of the usual schools I will look outside of the usual look how great I am on my resume and look how much I've done um, and you'll get some really interesting people who have a, a lot to offer. It's, I know what you're saying, too. It's that certain je ne sais quoi. Because for me, even, I went, I got accepted to a lot of good UC schools. And I went to UC Irvine. And my GPA was not stellar. It was like a 3.3. And so I think that if you have that passion and that gumption and that tenacity mm-hmm. and that willingness to do it. Because I feel like sometimes people sit back and rest on their laurels. Absolutely. If they've gotten the 4.0 or they've come from the best pedigree school, you know, you 
you take it for granted. And versus somebody like me, maybe who has less than a 3.5 GPA, it made me all the more hungry. And thank God there's companies out there like you that are willing to look for the diamond in the rough because, I mean, I'm very fortunate that I brought my old company millions of dollars and now run my own successful company. But I see so many of my clients of big corporations and law firms that I work with, and they'll just pass right over any resume that doesn't have a 3.75 or higher mm-hmm. GPA from a top school. I think there are some industries where absolutely, if I wanted to be a lawyer, you know, go to law firm, <laughs> I have to be a lawyer. There's no way around that. But I think I, I did paralegal work and I didn't go to school to be a paralegal. So there are ways to, if you're smart enough and you really are more than just your GPA, you can bring so much more to a position and to a company. And they will see that. They will absolutely see that. If I sit across from you and I maybe liked your resume, but I'm sitting across from you and I'm getting a deep connection and I can really talk to you and you're talking back to me with things you've learned. Again, this goes back to the interview, be prepared. Yes. I can't tell you how many times I sit across from someone and they just tell me how great they are. And I'm not really getting a sense of who they are or how they can contribute to the business or even that they understand the business. And that doesn't mean you have to have a huge real estate background to then get into my my research department. It just means that you, you Googled me. It's so simple. You you Google me right now, you'll find a ton of research. stuff. Here's research. Here's my point, yes. is that it cracks me up when somebody applies for a research job, because we fill those types of positions internally at mm-hmm. my company as well. And it boggles my mind. Whenever somebody goes in, do your research on the mm-hmm. company. One of my favorite examples is a girl, same thing, your exact, uh, men- what you had mentioned earlier, she had no bachelor's degree, she had no high-level certificate, she was a paralegal, didn't have any of the fancy companies on her resume, and my favorite story of all time from recruiting, she was up against two other candidates for an AVP-level job at a bank. Both of the other people had degrees, paralegal certificates, all the fanciest law firms on their resume. When they said to her, why do you want to work for us? Do you know what she said? What? She pulled out a copy of the company's 10K report. Wow. So for those of you who don't know that, it's basically the company's earning. And she proceeded to highlight their earnings and their projected earnings and said, wow, I was doing my due diligence and I was really blown away that your third quarter earnings were up 3% over last year and that your projected earnings are at X, Y, and Z. They hired her on the spot. The other two candidates didn't even hold a candle to her. And it was because she was going into a role that would have required good due diligence skills. And look what she brought to the table. Her, her <laughs> due diligence skills. Exactly. exactly. I just interviewed somebody last week who I always ask the question, did you Google me? And I get a lot of (laughs) blank looks, believe it or not. Some people don't even know about the company, CBRE. They haven't even gone to the the website, which is sad. (laughs) You can always ask who you're interviewing with, and they will always tell you if they know at that time. And the woman said, uh, yes, I went to your LinkedIn page, and I found out that we have a person in common, somebody who used to intern with me. And he even dropped me a line before the interview and said, hey, you're meeting with so-and-so. She's fantastic. I think you'll like her. But I didn't say anything. Yeah. I wanted to see what she brought. And she said, oh, yes, we both know this person. And I went to your Twitter page and I saw all these articles you were in. So she, that's all she had to do is go to LinkedIn and Twitter. It's the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, you can Google and Mm -hmm. find out information about just about anybody. And for me, I used to practice interviewing before I opened my own company just to make sure that I was staying relevant with what I would teach people. And I'll never forget, I had an interview with CPK and the person who was in recruitment there happened to be a UCI alum. And so the first conversation we had, it's like, oh, you're an anteater. I'm an anteater. You want the job? No, it's okay. But like we had this whole background of relatedness right away because you have that rapport 
or that icebreaker, just like you had with a candidate who knew somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's how you build your network as well. You know, that's somebody who you could stay in touch with. I stayed in touch with the intern who then, you know, told me that he knew this person. So it, it's all part of of your network. It's the great circle mm-hmm. of life mm-hmm. and <laughs> sure. of your career, that's <laughs> for sure. So what are some of the pitfalls, aside from not doing proper due diligence and research, what are a couple of the pitfalls that you've seen on your end of things? As you said before, resting a little too much on the laurels, and I'll get a lot of emails from people who say, well, my dad knows so-and-so, <laughs> and again, that's fine, but the the follow-up email, because I see the email chain, so you should be careful about what you put in emails <laughs> as well. Because they'll just forward it, and I'll see, I really want to be at CBRE. I really want to be in the research department. I think this is a great fit for me. I'm not getting anything about what this person's going to do. I will look at their resume, and I probably will have a phone call with them, but it usually solidifies what I've already learned, which is they want to come in for what benefits them. And, you know, your career is the rest of your life. And I know they say, you know, if you don't, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life. But what it really is, it's about finding the passion, whether you're in the job you want or not. You're there eight hours a day. So you should find what your passion is. I wasn't particularly interested in real estate, but I stayed (laughs) with it. And I learned that I was good at the research. And I learned that I like to connect the dots. So it's the puzzle of it all. So I'm, I'm not necessarily thinking of you as a client I'm thinking of it as I know this thing and you need this thing, I'm connecting you. So you, you kind of have to find out w- within your day, what are you really good at? And what can you not only offer the company, but what, what are you doing to enrich yourself at the same time? What are you discovering about yourself? So as I progressed along with this career path and learning more and more about real estate and then moving into management, is that I liked to mentor people. Mm. And I saw, at least especially in our industry, there was a big gap between um, more senior brokers and then the newer ones coming in. There wasn't a whole lot of the 35 to 45-year-old brokers. And no one really was mentoring. There's a few out there who are really great mentors, but no one as a whole was really mentoring this new crop. They sort of expected these these new brokers to come in and learn by the seat of their pants the way they had. And that doesn't really work anymore because this whole generation coming up has learned a completely different way in school than I did. And it was a much more team-based environment. So then they get thrown into the workforce and it's not that same environment anymore. You could be doing individual work. You could be doing some teamwork. But I just saw where the where the gap was, how lost they were. Mm. So I started reaching out to them more and more and training them one-on-one. Some started to find me, and I just basically told them things they needed to do to be a great broker. And this is kind of applicable to everything. Like, what are you doing every day to grow your brand? And I know people cringe when they hear that. <laughs> but it really is your brand. Like, what do people feel after you are done talking and you leave the room? that's your brand that is brilliant I love that what are you going to what are you impressing upon them that you know what you're saying that you know at least that you're interesting that you're willing to learn or that you're you know willing to just again be indispensable What, what feeling are you leaving them with and that's your that's your personal brand and I always tell my team grow that because the career may change Ah. But if you're if you're 40 and then you've only grown the career, 
you really don't know what you're made of. And what you really want to do is be that every person to say, who can I get to do this thing? I know, Jennifer. Jennifer knows how to do everything. <laughs> and that's really what it comes down to. It's like, that's like the quintessential indispensable, right? You want to be that person that everyone says, I think so-and-so could do that because they're really good with something else. And that's like transferable skill. So that's that's really what you're building is your brand, you, and then that will fit into the career as you grow it. I love what you just said. I think it's so poignant for anybody, whether you're a millennial, whether you're 20, 30, 40 years into your career, it's never too late to reinvent yourself. And ironically, interestingly enough, next week on my show is a friend of mine, Dr. John Rubinow, who was a doctor. Go Imagine this, and we're going to be talking about this next week. He spent like 10 years in medical school, 10 years practicing as a physician, paying off that, and realized it wasn't his passion. Mm. But he had grown his brand so well that he did a complete 180, left his practice his medical practice and became a famous voiceover actor and now has a pro ball camp for um, adult men and it's just the coolest thing that it doesn't matter if you're a millennial or if you're 40 years into your career 10 years you can always turn it around and like you just said it's about that brand it's about that je ne sais quoi that certain something that people possess and for anybody out there listening it's not something that you can't create for yourself Mm -hmm. some people might look and say oh Petra has that or Jennifer has that but I don't have that. That took a long time to, to cultivate. Right, it did. Just today I was on the phone prepping a guy for an interview. He's like, oh, I should warn you, I'm terrible at interviewing. And I said, guess what? You're only terrible at interviewing if you say you are. And I think just like you said, taking a while to cultivate it, probably the most, the biggest difference for me between where I'm at now, 15 years of my career and where I was when I started is authenticity. Mm-hmm. I used to be so fake because I so wanted to fit in and mm-hmm. I wanted people to like me so bad that I would try to say the right answers or be the right person for the job instead of just allowing myself to be me which is now it's just everything flourishes when you're you people are drawn to that because so few people are authentic absolutely i say you know you can't get rock hard apps from doing one sit up so it takes time (laughs) it takes time and that's okay that's the beauty of getting older though is that you start to be comfortable in your own skin and you start to fit into situations you might not have fit into before, but you're fitting in as yourself because, well, you start to look, care less about what people think too, which is a is a great side effect too. Yeah, and it was so funny, about three weeks ago on the show, I'd had a friend of mine, Brandon Maslin, and my favorite thing, I keep still telling people this, is he said his friend was in the bathroom with Bill Clinton when Clinton was president. Oh my goodness. And the guy, Clinton, didn't realize that his friend was in the bathroom, and Clinton's in the mirror saying, you're the man, you got this, you're the man. So I kid you not, actually now before my radio shows, I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, you're extraordinary, you can do this. That's incredible, but I love that. I know, it's just like my new favorite story to share with people. But I love it because so often we are ha- we have doubts. No matter how authentic you are, you're going to doubt yourself, whether it's for an interview, an internship, any uh, obstacle you face in life, there is going to be moments where you doubt yourself. And that's where you got to kind of quiet the negative internal voice. And even if you have to say out loud, you're amazing. Mm-hmm. I love you. You're just great. Just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. Yeah. And ask for feedback. Yes, ask that's people, brilliant. you know, what's what make a pros and cons list about what you know about yourself the pros side you're going to keep working on and cultivating but look at the negatives too because somebody who may be nervous you could maybe not speak and listen and then cultivate that into a better listener because you know maybe you don't really know how to manage small talk but maybe you're a better listener and then you 
you're more observant and you can ask that one question that makes the person go, oh, oh, okay, that's an, okay, I never thought of it that way, and then start talking. So they're doing the talking and, you know, then your nerves will die down eventually. They will. Yeah, I think it's it's just like you said, practice part mm-hmm. of it. And part of it too that I didn't realize, there's what we don't know we don't know. And sometimes we have a blind spot as far as how we occur for people. And this could be true within our family, our friends. This could be true in interviews. We might have no relationship to how people relate to us or to what our brand even is. And in the corporate training I just did, I have people do an exercise where they go out into their community and they asked strangers, family, friends, etc. What was your first impression of me when we met? Where have I disappointed you? Where have I surprised you? Oh, interesting. What can you count on me for? What can't you count on me for? And what's your impression of me now? And to this day, I still ask even my own staff of what their thoughts are for those questions for me, because we all have habits and we fall into patterns that could hinder our ability for our greatness or for us to be extraordinary. And it's only by really delving into that inquiry, especially when you're starting off your career, find out how you are perceived. Is that what you're committed to? And if it's not, then you get to start working on yourself and find mentors like you. Exactly. It, it's important. To, uh, it's important to get that feedback, incorporated into what you know, who you are, and then fi- find your mentors too. And it's also not just about the people who you want to emulate. It's also spotting the people who maybe you shouldn't emulate and <laughs> recognize them for oh, like oh, that's how that person reacts. In that situation, okay, I can see how that affected the whole room and make note of that, definitely. I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant because so many of us, we think, oh, who are idols or who are heroes? Mm -hmm. But there are so many people in society and not like a good or bad or right or wrong, just something to observe and go, wow, okay, look at the cost and impact of that person and how they handled X situation. Would I want to have that same impact or could I do it differently? Exactly. That's so interesting. And uh, something you touched on earlier that I didn't want to gloss over is the I, me, mine syndrome that I see with a lot of the recent graduates that we place. Mm -hmm. And again, for those of you out there listening, I am a millennial myself, so I'm allowed to talk about millennials. (laughs) I'm on the cusp. I'm born in 81. Uh, But for me, one of the things, I was just preparing a guy for an interview, and same thing. When I was talking to him, he's like, oh, this is great for my career, Mm -hmm. and I would be great, and I, 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 me, me, me. And I think something that's important for our listeners to note is that when you're going to an interview, to a certain extent, yes, you do want to make sure it's a match for you and for your passions, etc. Right. And you are interviewing the, the company as well. Yes, to a certain extent. But I think it's about having that balance. And if you go in there and if you have the perspective of how can I be a contribution to this company, and if that's kind of the basis that you uh, ask the questions that you interact with the interviewer around, you're going to notice that you're going to have extraordinary results because it's not just about me. And when I get clients who hire millennials, probably some of the biggest complaints I get are I, me, mine, and then the lack of ability to be proactive. That's probably the biggest gap between baby boomers and millennials that I've noticed in 13 years of recruiting. You have a lot of baby boomers who are very loyal, will go above and beyond, be proactive and anticipate the next step. But sometimes I've noticed there are millennials who will only do exactly what they're asked. And it's just like you said, because of scholastically how they were brought up and the changes in the world and technology. Right, and I'm Gen X, so shout out to my Gen <laughs> Xers there. But um, yeah, because they're they're waiting for everybody to begin as a group. Yeah, I think, and oh. instead of saying, "Okay, I'm, I'm just 
I'm taking charge and I'm this is what I think we should do. And that's what that's what I want to see. I want to see problem problem solvers. I don't really want someone coming up to me and saying, um, I can't get so and so to listen to me or I don't know what to do about a, a report. I want someone to come up to me and say, Hey, you know, I'm looking at the aerospace industry. Do you think there's any value in in taking a look at that, yeah, let's take a look at, yes, yes to everything. Let's take a look at what that has to do with real estate. Let's figure out what your viewpoint is and let's team you up with somebody and let's get this done. Absolutely. Uh, solving. Hey, I talked to so-and-so and um, I got this feedback and I didn't really think it was on point. So I'm going to do this. Do you, is it, do, do you think that's a good response? Yeah, that's a great response. Go ahead. So you, they want problem solving because... Otherwise, it's all in my lap, and I have. Then I'm just delegating. And who wants to be sitting around work all day waiting for your boss to say, "Go do this"? Yeah, or, and that's the know. pet peeve. I when I do the indispensable class, which I've been leading for about six or seven years now, a variation of it. I'll never forget. I had a woman who had actually invited me to speak to an organization. Came up to me, Petra, in tears after the talk I gave, and she said, "Jen." I want you to know I see why I was let go now for my last three jobs. Oh, my goodness. I see I wasn't indispensable. And this particular woman then applied those principles. And this was when the recession was bad. It was mm-hmm. like back in 2012, I want to say. And she went out, got hired by my client. And to this day, they say she's the best, most indispensable secretary they've ever hired. That's a great success story. It is. and But it goes back to whenever I talk to my clients, the biggest pet peeve is a lack of initiative or being proactive. It's just doing that little extra something that somebody didn't ask you to do but you could have done and we all spend our lives I call it reactive versus proactive Mm -hmm. living we live our lives reactively and for millennials I notice it can be sometimes a larger issue for that generation just because of some of the ways that they've learned growing up so if you're out there and you're asking yourself okay well I either have a new job or I'm interviewing for a job Give examples in the interview of times where you took initiative. Wouldn't you say that can be helpful? So relevant. I don't care if you're talking to me about the time you went into your manager's office and took all of his record sales, uh, you know, his vinyl store record sales, (laughs) and compiled them. It shows initiative, and it shows that you figured out how to use Excel and that you figured out how to organize a, a mess of inventory or whatever or sales and and you know now the company's using that for everything that's the kind of relevant it doesn't matter that it's not directly related to that industry like my industry real estate just whatever you've done relate it to what you know how you've made yourself useful somewhere else because then i can see what you're talking about and i understand how you think and how you're going to be a benefit to me and how I can help grow you as well. So I think that's great. And I would love to ask your opinion on something. I know I get a lot of job seekers, both who are millennials and more experienced uh, working professionals, who sometimes you get the people and they could be a diamond or rough where maybe they're a little bit quieter and they're not as used to. I was just talking to somebody today who's like this, where in certain cultures or certain ways that you're brought up, you're taught not to talk about yourself or not to share examples. It's all about modesty and humility, et cetera. So how would you encourage or encourage somebody out there who might be tuning in going, oh gosh, well, they sound like you know type A or extroverts and that's just not me. I'm an introvert and I'll never be able to accomplish that. What would you tell somebody? I'm an introvert. <laughs> <laughs> you, me too. I really prefer to read a book I, most I, me nights. Me totally, completely. <laughs> 
Um, I, I tend to bond with those people more because really? I am an introvert. Yeah, I see it. So if I do see somebody, whether it's culturally or, per- culturally or personally, that they are more quiet, um, I'll just have a conversation with them and I'll say, what do you like to do for fun? And it's like, well, I like to read. I mean, that's my first cue right <laughs> I know. there. Right? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but um, I'll try to draw them out. But there is, there's plenty of room for introverts on my team. I really, I would prefer part data nerd, part social <laughs> butterfly, but they can't all be like that. So there is room for intro- introverts. I do have a data group. I have a analyst group. I have a thought leadership group. So all these people work together. So there there usually is some place on it, but it would be something I would definitely, if they had all the other, they, all the other pieces I needed, but they were just super quiet, but they did come around in the interview to where they were talking a little bit more openly, then I would definitely consider them. Okay, that's good to know. And would you say, is it helpful if somebody is a little bit more either on the quiet, shy, introverted side, et cetera, for them to mention that in the interview? Or would you rather have them not say that and have it come out naturally? I flat out ask them. I say, <laughs> I say, are you more, um, you know, I'll ask them, are you more word-oriented or number-oriented? Oh, good question. Because I need both. Um, I ask them if they would rather work independently or on a team. And I ask them if they would consider themselves more introverted or extroverted. Interesting. One thing that I found to be helpful is sometimes if you don't get as great of an interviewer as you are, because sometimes, let's be honest, you can get interviewers who Mm -hmm. run the the gamut. Some might be less forgiving or more harsh or really expecting you to walk in being an extrovert. One thing I found that can be helpful is to get out of your own head, mention to people, you know, one thing you should probably know about me, you could say it as your weakness or as part of your tell me about yourself, is where I thrive is if you put me in front of a computer or you give me a task Mm -hmm. to do, that's where I really shine. But sometimes times just because of you know the nature of how I am I'm less strong when it comes to telling you why I'm great and tooting my own horn I find that that can be really helpful just to get yourself out of your own head and not to beat yourself up because especially introverts can sometimes I don't know about you but I get inside my head and then you're mm-hmm. like oh my gosh do they know I'm not saying the right things right. etc and by saying that it kind of calls the elephant in the room what it is sometimes I'll also pretend I'm talking about somebody else if I do have to really you know, wax poetic about my <laughs> abilities. I sometimes will just pretend I'm talking about somebody else because it's it's easier for me to talk you up yeah. than it is to talk myself up. But also, just say, hey, what's your favorite movie? And if anybody suddenly has that spark in their eye, oh, it's so where they different. start talking about something they love, then I know I can work with them. If they're just too too painfully shy, it might not be a good fit, if, especially if I'm hiring for a thought leadership position. But if there are several positions open, that person might still work. Yeah, it it all depends. And so that's the thing is that no matter what interview you're going into, if you're out there listening and you have an interview coming up, realize sometimes too, though, if you get passed on for a job, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. True. Yes, there is always room to kind of expand your knowledge of how to be effective at interviewing. But I find that 99.9% of the time, the job you didn't get was not the job for you to begin with. And you shouldn't beat yourself up over it or say, oh, gosh, I'm a complete jerk because I didn't get that job. Right. It's all practice. Make notes of what you did well, make notes of what you didn't do well, and then just try it again. And practice in the car on the way to the interview. 
practice, practice, practice. Yeah, and there was a great thing. I was just talking to one of the guys in my office about this. I want to say it's Amy Cullither. Have you heard of her? She's done several TED Talks. Yeah. Oh, yes. She, she I want to get, I hope that's her name correctly. Um, one of my associates, he heard me prepping a candidate, and she did this great thing, a TED Talk, on saying how you should stretch right before an mm-hmm. interview and how it'll release endorphins. And he uh, added on to that, my associate, and said, you know what? I heard something similar where you know how um, Olympians actually lift their arms up like yes you know where it's like that natural thing if you f- uh, go through the finish line they said that that's a great thing to do in the shower the morning of the interview huh. so just kind of pump your hands up in the air and tell yourself I got this and I'm doing it right now and I'm, right. I'm feeling better <laughs> and then in the mirror tell yourself you're fantastic yeah exactly you pull Bill Clinton and be like you're the man you're the woman you got this <laughs> I swear that's my new favorite thing <laughs> so one other thing too that I know can sometimes be an obstacle for millennials how do you feel about attire if somebody comes in in completely inappropriate attire how do you feel about that what is what is not appropriate to you uh, it used to be more that if you didn't show up in a suit um, that would count against you if the shoes weren't shined if the <laughs> hair wasn't cut you know if you weren't put together that it didn't it didn't really speak to your preparation or your really wanting to be a part of this company especially if you did your research and figured out what the culture was um, now as long as they're neat and they're not wearing obviously wearing jeans if they've put on a tie if they whether or not they have a jacket or if they have the jacket but no tie and for women you know as long as they're neat and professionally dressed um i'm not really concerned about what they're wearing because the rules are more lax than they've used than they were um but I, I would say it's always err on the side of overdressing a little bit. Always err on the side of a suit, a skirt, you know, a blouse, whatever. You yeah. can't, you can't go wrong with it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think one of my clients was just telling me a great quote the other day. She said, "Dress for the job you want, not the job that you have." Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of things that I've noticed that it kind of depends. It does depend on the company. Like my husband's worked in technology for years, That's and he different. wears like jeans and a t-shirt mm-hmm. to work every day. That's just his mo. Right. But for more often than not, most corporate clients, you do have to be careful. Scents, scents can be a really big thing. So anybody ever going an interview for men or women, cologne, perfume, oh, scented yes. lotions. That's a big mistake I see sometimes the millennial generation make. Mm-hmm. And a couple other things for women, you know, having, you know, cleavage or oh, yeah, too short of a skirt or mm-hmm. the hooker heels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hooker heels I've to the interview that. do not yeah, go to the no. interview. <laughs> no, not not a good presentation. <laughs> My favorite one from a guy years ago, this is when I started recruiting. It was before the days of where you could actually see people and do FaceTimes and such. And I was sure he was going to get hired. It was a job out in Florida. And my client called me Petra. I write, Jennifer, we are passing on James, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What happened? She said he wasn't wearing socks with his shoes. So it gets better. So I call him and I'm like, um, James, this is Jennifer Hill with blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to check how the interview go. Oh, it was amazing. She was great. I was great. Blah, blah, blah. I said, uh, great. I just have one question for you. Were you wearing socks with your shoes? And I'm trying not to giggle as I say this. <laughs> and he says, oh, honey, I was wearing Gucci shoes. You do not wear socks with oh, Gucci shoes. <laughs> so my one recommendation to all the men out there, please wear socks with your Gucci please shoes. Please wear socks. Because <laughs> two years ago, I was at a friend's wedding. It was the first time I ever saw a man not wearing socks with shoes. And I said, I have to ask, are those Gucci 
Gucci? And he said, yes, of course. You don't wear socks with Gucci <laughs> shoes. Okay, so I'm, I'm just uninformed then because I had no idea. <laughs> so it's just I warn people, you think that you wouldn't have to coach people. Like I would I hope that I wouldn't have to tell people to wear socks with your shoes or not wear perfume. Or another fun one for women is dangly jewelry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can just make so much noise or be so distracting. You just want everything to, like you said, you summed it up perfectly. Just be neat. Be mm-hmm. neat and professional and the rest will work itself out. Absolutely. Yeah. So anything else, you know, we're down to the last 10 minutes. I could just talk to you all day. You've had so many great things. Uh, so what are some other tips that you would say for any of our millennials out there? Um, definitely after you're done, write the thank you note. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> write the thank you. It does not have to be handwritten. You do get extra brownie points if you do, but an email summing up what you learned in the meeting and how you can contribute to that end goal is it, it it counts it really does count yeah i would say that years ago this is one of my favorite thank you stories we had a client who was the hardest client you could ever get a job with probably not too dissimilar from you they were a real estate company publicly traded and the ceo would personally interview anybody who ever got hired at this company wow. because they were so picky this girl went through six seven rounds of interviews she finally meets the ceo they extend her the offer awesome she sends a thank you note to the CEO. Dear Mr. XYZ, I'm so happy to have the job. Exclamation, exclamation. I can't wait to start my new position. Happy face, happy face. Oh, I look forward to starting with you. Two more exclamations. They rescinded the job offer. Oh my goodness. I tell people, my here's my rules. No emoticons under any no, circumstances. None. One exclamation point at most. <laughs> I even catch myself because I'm pretty enthusiastic. Yeah, I s- <laughs> the more exclamation points, the, uh, the more, yeah, it's a red flag. Yeah, it's just so dangerous. And it's funny you say the thing about writing a handwritten thank you. I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> but the thing I do tell job seekers, something I found to be very helpful, the day of the interview, send an email thank you to anybody you met with. The day after the interview, send a handwritten thank you note. That way that employer will get it two or three days later and that way they'll think of you twice in the week following the interview. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I would uh, I would just say as long as you're making the effort, um, the email and follow-up handwritten is, is great. That's great. But if you can only do one, yeah. definitely do the email. Yeah, because you do. Sometimes the only downside with a handwritten thank you is if it's a quick process, you'd rather have the email get there sooner rather Absolutely. than later. And Please, anybody listening out there, make sure you're addressing it to the correct person. <laughs> Have you ever had that where somebody's misspelled your name or written oh, it to the wrong person? Uh, you'd be amazed by <laughs> what people, how people mangle my name, yes. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine <laughs> Starbucks. So the name is Petrus. <laughs> oh, I get Patrick, Peter, you name it. Yeah, it's oh, amazing. I get Jill. Everybody like sends me because it's Jennifer Jay Hill and right. J Hill staffing. Right. So I have people, somebody who I've known 10 years, one of my associates said, Jennifer, somebody just called you Jill. You've known her for years, right? I was like, I, I don't even want to go there. Can't, can't do it. Can't, can't do it. Can't even do anything with that. Well, to sum up for our listeners, what would you say are a couple of the top things that an employer like you or anybody out there are looking to hire somebody might be? What are a couple of the top things that you would recommend? Enthusiasm, passion. I want to see your personality. I want to see who you are. I want to know, um, again, looking across the table from you. I saw your resume. It was probably stellar. But who are you and how are you going to stand out? And what is your contribution to to the company's bottom line? Because that's really what it's about. 
but you know, do I like you? Can I look in your eyes and do I get a good feeling that I can work side by side with you? That's great. So it goes back to just kind of being authentic. Being authentic. And again, check in. If you don't know how you occur for other people, I really encourage everybody to kind of go out there and check in and ask your community. That's what friends are for. That's what family are for. Even ask somebody who you know very peripherally because sometimes you'll get the best feedback. As I had no idea. I used to find out years ago that I came across as a horrible B-I-T-C-H. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so for the first three years of my career, I had people say, oh, we thought you were aggressive and you were a bitch and da-da-da-da. And so that's why I have to actively work on smile when I meet people. So that way you don't have R. Have you heard about uh, RBF? No. Resting bitch face. Oh, yes. Yeah, I have <laughs> so that So I, I apparently have that, and I have to go out of my way to smile and make people feel comfortable. But just know what how you occur for other people, because like you said, it's so important to realize this is your brand. Your career is one thing, but your brand you're going to take with you for the rest of your career. And you want to make sure that your brand is a true reflection of who you are and that you're happy with it. Exactly. It, it's it's the, probably the most important thing is how really people remember how you make them feel. Yeah, exactly. And to anybody else listening out there, just remember, go out and network. 80% of jobs are found through word of mouth. It's all about, you might not, if you send a resume directly to Petra or to myself or to anybody, you may not be able to get into in front of for an interview or with me either. But if you know somebody who knows Petra or I, you're going to have a much higher likelihood of getting an interview with either one of us. And so remember, use LinkedIn, use your contacts, follow all up. All of it. Go, go to... Go to industry events. It, it's it's not in my comfort zone to walk up to people I don't know and int- introduce myself for sure. But going to events like where you and I met, yeah, just, that's right. right? <laughs> I, you just you talk to people, you find out what they do, ask them about their their what they do, ask them what they're passionate about, ask them how they got started in the business, and then you know I realize business cards are probably a little old school, but if they have one, take it. And when you get home that night, send them a little note. Or airdrop your contact info yeah, to you each could other. Totally, absolutely. <laughs> you could do that. Connect with them on LinkedIn. Send them a note and say, it was great talking to you. I learned so much about, you know, this, this, and this, some specific points. And then they'll know you listened. I've had, I've hired people who stayed in touch with me for years who I, maybe I didn't have something for them at the time or they were on a different path, but they stayed in touch with me. They, um, we would meet for coffee. We would talk. Maybe they would just pick my brain on occasion, but when something right came up because they had stayed in touch, they made the effort, and they grew themselves in that time, I'm like, yeah. I'll snap you up. I'll snap you up, exactly. And never miss an opportunity. A perfect example that I'll leave everybody with, about six or eight weeks ago, I was in Santa Monica going to a class. I go there on Monday nights, and I had about a half hour before my class. So I go, and I'm walking along the beach on that beautiful path, and I wanted to sit down at a bench. And there was a lovely young kid sitting at the end. It was the only seat on any of the benches. And I said, sir, do you mind if I sit down here? And we started engaging, and he said, oh, you know, I'm new here. I'm from New York, blah, blah, blah. We engaged in this fantastic dialogue. Out of that, we became friends. He asked for my contact info. We just got him a job. I had no idea that I would See? even be able to help him. Mm-hmm. And it was all out of a conversation on a bench in Santa Monica. And he was a recent grad. I have a fun, similar story. I was taking um, a rental car uh, from Enterprise. And the guy who was driving me to the car said, well, what do you do? And I just started <laughs> talking. He was in the car with me for 10 minutes. And I basically interviewed him, not on purpose, but he was asking me about my career and how I got started and just back and forth. And he, I gave him my card. He emailed me. We've stayed in touch. 
and I'm looking to to hire him because oh, that's he's, amazing. Because I love he that. Stayed in touch, and you know, we just went out for coffee and just you know kept that communication going. That's fantastic. And so I really want everybody out there listening that nothing is too big or too small. Just work mm-hmm. on your brand. Be cognizant of who your heroes are and who the people are that you can learn from in a good or a bad way. Social and media presence. Exactly. Ex- again, too, you have to have an online presence. Yeah, and make sure that your social media presence is the same. It's in line with your presence in person. That's the other thing. Is yes. Sometimes we could do a whole show just on that mm-hmm. where people have one personality profile or one brand online, but it's completely divergent from what they're like when you meet them in person. So you want to make sure that your brand is consistent across all platforms. Mm-hmm. And if you have a fun Twitter account that's for your personal use. Private. Start, start a professional one. And yeah. <laughs> definitely start And make a that one private. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. So thank you so much, Petra. It's been such a joy. Thanks um, for having me. Would you want our listeners to reach out to you? I guess I'll put your information up on the bio sure. in case anybody wants to Google you or find more information Absolutely. about all the great stuff you have on real estate. And for those of you just tuning in, I did mention that next week's show, we're going to have Dr. John Rubinow, and we're going to be doing this wonderful chat about how he made a career transition from spending 10 10 years in med school, 10 years as a doctor, to having a voiceover career as a famous voiceover actor, and now a pro ball camp that he does for uh, for men. It's I'm fascinating. Just, I love these sorts of stories, mm-hmm. and I'm so happy and grateful that I get to share them with you. So tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. to get yourself the job on LA Talk Radio, or of course you can find us on iTunes. And uh, we're very grateful that we are up to almost 10,000 listeners a month thanks to your support. So keep tuning in and tell your friends about us, and have a wonderful rest of your week. You're listening to Get Yourself the Job with Jennifer Hill only on LA Talk Radio.